Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and invite you to stand. Uh, I'm going to say just a brief prayer, uh, and we're just going to dive into worship this morning. You are welcome to stand uh, or sit as you feel most comfortable. We just want you to worship freely this morning. But let us pray. Father God, God, we thank you for this time that we have, Lord. We pray that you would just meet us here. God, I know we're all coming from different places this week. But God, I pray that you would just unify our hearts, unify our minds. Allow our spirits to be open. Open our ears so that we may hear what you have for us today, God. That we may leave better than when we came in, God, knowing that we've come into contact with Jesus today. God, we want to glorify you in all that we do.
assurance that we have, amen. And no matter how lost or broken we may feel, no matter how unworthy we may believe we are, that we had a Savior nonetheless that felt necessary to die for us through all of our imperfections. This last song that we're going to sing Every little thing, he died and paid for it all. And he is worthy of all the praise that we have to give. And as we sing, we're going to open up the altar. There, there will be pastors up here that you can pray with if you need to. But we just, like I said earlier, we just want you to worship freely this morning. And if you want to come forward and if you want to pray, by all means pray. This is an opportunity just to, to do as the Spirit leads.
Welcome to Capital City Church. We are so glad you're joining us for service today. Please share your updates, praises, and prayer requests on the connection card and drop it in the offering when it comes around later this morning. First time visitors, please let us get to know you through the connection card. And at the end of service, you can take it to the visitor welcome desk in the lobby to receive a small gift. Did you miss week one of Awana, youth group, or small groups? It's not too late to join in. All groups meet on Wednesday at 7 p.m. here at the church. 
Thank you for supporting the ministry with Cap City Church. You can give online or by check or cash. See the back of the bulletin for more details. Please welcome Pastor Jonathan with today's message. Hey, good morning, Cap City Church. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. Hey, I, I want to start off, uh, I told them I'd handle some welcome and announcements uh, just because I had a couple things to say. First off, if you're a first-time guest here this morning, uh, I really do want to get to know you. Some of you that have been a first-time guest in the last couple months could attest to that, that me and Allison will drive you crazy uh, wanting to hang out with you and spend time with you and help get you acclimated into the church. We've already made a couple friends specifically that way. We like the rest of you too, but... Um, Please, if you do get a second and fill out a connection card for us, that would be great. Um, additionally, if it's okay, I'd like to greet our, our current interim uh, president at Ohio Christian University, Dr. Ron Smith, and his wife, Darina. Could we give them a hand for being with us today? Yeah, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, I, we, there's a lot of exciting things coming on, uh, coming up at Cap City. Exciting things have been happening uh, Seriously, don't miss church. Uh, the announcements I'm going to be sharing with you over the next couple weeks are just going to be huge. God's doing some great things in the kingdom. He's allowing Cap City to be a part of it. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about this week. We, um, we had a car show yesterday to raise money for missions. And um, yeah, it was a great day. Uh, <laughs> I mean, a lot of cool cars. Um, I, would have, I really wouldn't have cared what they're raising money for as far as the food went yesterday. I just would have bought it anyhow. Um, they did a great job with some of the best uh, fish that I've had. Um, whether, you know, I don't know if you like fish, but uh, a lot of baked goods and stuff. I think there's some hanging out in the foyer, and they were going to try to sell the rest of them. That money goes to missions. So if you didn't come yesterday, you need to pay double for whatever's out there uh, <laughs> to help raise money for missions. Uh, but it was a good day. Listen, on, on Wednesday, I mean, just... Gang, I can't express how overwhelmed I am by not just what God's doing, but what you're doing, because he's using us for his glory, right? And, and for us, we, we talked a couple weeks ago in this series about faith is not just showing up, but it requires stepping up. But it does require showing up too, like, right? You can't step up if you're not showing up. And so we were, a few years ago, right, the church started Awana, and, and Scott and Tara helped get that off the ground, and then... Um, I, I come here and I meet this lady named Michelle Heller, and she's willing to help me kind of organize uh, what we're calling Thrive Groups um, that are, are going to meet not just on Wednesday nights, there'll be other times too, but we thought it'd be good to introduce them at a time where we have something for the whole family so you don't have to worry about childcare or your teens or, or your babies. So you can come on a Wednesday night right now at 7 o'clock, and there's something for everybody, every age. Um, and on a Sunday morning in, throughout the building, we've got somewhere probably between 150 and 200 people here on Sunday on Sunday mornings. And, and so I, it's interesting as a pastor, I'm always kind of exegeting um, what, what's going on in churches around us. And I, I drive by these churches on Wednesday nights sometimes, and I'm going, I see six cars in the parking lot. And I'm not, I'm not picking on them. I'm just, why don't they just meet in somebody's living room? Or, or I go by and there's two cars there and go, maybe this is the night they clean the church. Wednesday night here at Cap City, there are 124 of us here. 124. That's crazy. That's crazy. And here's what's cool. That's where community's happening. It's where discipleship's happening. Hey, the enemy's will for your life is isolation. Do you get that? 
So we don't have an excuse for that here at Cap City. If you're choosing to be isolated, if you're choosing to be lonely, that's a choice that you're making. But we're giving you opportunities to be in great communities. I talked to somebody that went to every group, to David's group, to Ed's group, to Deb's group, to, to Kaylee's group, every group. And I heard positive comments. Man, that's a great class. I love what we're studying. I love the teacher. I love the format. So there's something for you. You can even come and try all of them out if you want to. But I'm encouraging you for your spiritual well-being, get involved, get plugged in uh, to one of these ideas. Uh, just some great stuff that's going on. So we're going to wrap up our series this morning uh, entitled Hard Love. And we'll be in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. And just want to kind of walk us where we're through. We, we've talked about the idea of hard love, that love is not just this, it's not transactional, right? There's too many misconceptions of love in our culture today, but it's not just transactional. It, it's not, um, love is not just you do whatever I want, like, right? We think of maybe like a, a, a childlike love, and I'm not talking about how a child loves you. I'm talking about how, like, I just need you to do for me. Too many of us that's what we want love to be. We want God to make us happy. That's what we want. Just almost as if he's a genie in a bottle or something of that nature. But, but love can be hard. It can be challenging. It, it's, it's been so misconstrued. And, and we talked the first week about Gideon and how God has not called us to comfort, but he's called us to combat. We talked about the fact that it, with Abraham, that faith is not just showing up, but faith requires stepping up. Last week, we went to the story of Joseph and we said at the end of the service, God, if you're still working, I'll keep waiting. God, if you're still working, I'll keep waiting. And today, we will look to understand uh, that your purpose takes courage because you're the only one that can do it. Your purpose takes courage because you're the only one that, that can do it. And we'll look at Esther and that story here in just a second. But um, I was reminded this morning that there are three fundamental questions that we all have, whether we recognize it or not. When we sit and ponder wherever you ponder at. Um, I love our prayer time that we have on Tuesday mornings, and Brother Greg shares some thoughts about how God meets him, and he's had some really cool stories. Like, you need to just take Greg out to lunch and talk to him and say, Greg, tell me every place you've met God. He'll be like, all right, we'll do three lunches, because he talked to us about how he saw God in a castle and how uh, he saw him in the stars. And, and I know a lot of you have those experiences, but we should be looking for God everywhere. And when we sit and we think about life, there are three fundamental questions that we all want to have answered at some point in our life that we need to keep moving. We want to know what our origin is. We want to know where we came from. We want to know where our purpose is, why we're here. And we want to know our destination, right, where we're going to spend eternity. We all wrestle with those at some time. And if we're good evangelicals, we, we get the origin and the I think we get the origin, or we think we get the origin and the destination pretty quickly, right? God created me, and I'm going to heaven, right? You figured that out. But this purpose thing, it's sitting there right in the middle, and that's how we're, what we're supposed to live our whole lives for. We're like, yeah, we're supposed to give glory to God. That means we sing a lot, right? We just praise and worship. and No, but what is our purpose? All right, so I have a confession to share. Some of you know this about me, and others don't, but... Um, you know, I was raised in an independent church um, with my dad as a pastor, and then I went to OCU. Our class was the first in 2005. We were the first ones that had OCU on our diplomas. We actually got empty portfolios that year because they were printing OCU versus Circleville Bible College on our diplomas. Um, and then, you know, I, I hung out for a few years, and I went and became a Nazarene pastor, and now I'm back here with you all. I'm, I'm a, a 3CU pastor again. And, uh, but... There's this small percentage of me that's tied to the Catholics. 
some of you might not know this. I'm not, not, not making light. I just, I'm a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> and I know, listen to me. This week, I realized, because some of you knew this, I realized how great and wonderful this congregation was, because not one of you said a word to me last week. I mean, we had Ohio State cornered, third quarter, we looked so good, and then we were so disappointed we went and lost to Marshall. I mean, I just, it's rough. It's a rough thing. But I, you know this if you live in the state of Ohio. Like, if you live in the state of Ohio, I, if you don't like sports, you're probably a better person than me because you probably spend your time doing more productive things than sitting around watching people play ball, right? But most of us love football, right? If you're living in Ohio, you probably like football. And if you're a good Christian, you like football more than you like baseball. Um, <laughs> I know there's always a few that are going to disagree, like, you know, they, but me and Allison were watching a football game last night, and, and on ESPN, you get these every once in a while, you get these things that say breaking news. Some of you saw it yesterday, you were watching football, and along the bottom of the screen, it said breaking news, Albert Pujols. He hit whatever home run, 696 or 697, whatever it was, to tie A-Rod for fourth all time on the list. And I saw that breaking, and, and I did. I, out loud, verbally, I said, who cares? Like, football's on. Could you guys just give it up? It's like this reminder, like, just in case your team is still in the hunt for the World Series, we want you to know baseball is still being played. Me and Allison, like, it's our favorite joke in the house. Like, once football season starts, every time we see some baseball, like, they're still doing that? I'm a Reds fan, but if you follow the Reds, you know, you just, you watch for a couple months at the beginning of the year, and then you're like, well, that was fun. Um, but that's kind of over. All that to just kind of lean into a, th- a story I have for an intro this morning that, in Major League Baseball, some of you might know a little about sports or just what sports your kids play, so just kind of an introductory thought. Every year, the teams that play in the Major Leagues, they chase each other for 162 games. I mean, if that's not enough reason not to like it, 162 games with the hopes of being one of the top teams that can make a run for the World Series championship in the, during the fall months. On October 18, 1977, the Yankees came out on top by winning the World Series best of seven, four games to two, with an eight to four win behind the bat of Yankee slugger Reggie Jackson, who smashed three home runs against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Just so I can see who all the old people in here, who remembers Reggie Jackson? Oh man, that wasn't a very nice pastor, but he was a ball player, right? But perhaps even more incredible than that, the last four times that Reggie Jackson swung the bat that season, all resulted in home runs. And those incredible feats are what earned him the the name or or the moniker, Mr. October. It used to be the World Series wrapped up in October. Actually, the first time, we were just talking about this, and you know, it's a big day in the history of America, and we spent some time remembering 9-11 yesterday during the car show. But the first time that the, the World Series went into November was 2001 because of 9-11. We had to pause things and delay things as we should have and, and went into to 2001 that, or into November. But it used to be that Reggie Jackson was called Mr. October because that's when World Series happened. Well, after that game, a commentator asked Reggie what it took to perform at such an incredible level in such high-pressure situations. And, and Reggie replied was that there is no pressure in baseball. He said, this is just a game that we get paid to play. He said, real pressure is interesting. It seems like this was somewhat unprovoked, and I've seen the interview. 
Real pressure is knowing you have six kids at home to feed and finding out that you just lost your job. Many times in our lives, pressure is caused by recognizing that there are things in life that we truly are the only ones that can do it, right? And the more that other people are going to be affected by those decisions and how we manage those ideas oftentimes increases the pressure. A lot of those ideas that only we can control or, or that we're the only ones that can handle, they aren't so pleasant. There, there's a lot of things in this life that we can pay other people to do, but for the most part, we all clean our own house and take out our own trash and brush our own teeth. If you have somebody else do that for you, I don't want to know about it. It's going to be a weird one. Uh, but we wash our own face, and, and something happens inside of us when the things that only we can continue to do, you know, when the things that only we can do, when those begin to pile up. You know what I mean? Like you ever have a pile on your desk? Maybe we have a pile in our inbox or a pile on our electronic devices. Every once in a while on Fridays that are supposed to be the days that I take off, Allison has to deal with me wanting to try to do something I want to do and doing something I have to do to where I think she'd say, we just go somewhere else and make this decision. Well, like, I, don't, I don't want to be involved in this right now. What I want to do, what I have to do, and I've, I've expressed to her, and we all get this, sometimes it's very hard to enjoy life when the have-to pile is still, still has things in it, right? We, we can't relax because there's things that need to be done, and that's a whole other series on understanding and recovering the Sabbath. But w there's things that we can only, only we can do, and it, we can, it can become overwhelming. But in our story today, we're going to consider the fact that Esther recognized that there was a task at hand. And she was the only one who could see it through. We won't get into the whole story this morning, but for those of us that know the scripture there, and if you don't, you, ought to, you can go home and study it after uh, the message this morning. Someone else had to convince her of her purpose, right? Someone else had to convince her of her purpose. But we're going to consider how she handled it and see what we can learn from her experience and her courage. We're going to consider the idea that your purpose takes courage because you're the only one that can do it. In the story this morning, before we get to the text, we'll set, we'll set the backdrop a little bit. There's a king named Xerxes, right? Xerxes, two X's. That's how you pronounce it, Xerxes. And he rules over the land from India to Ethiopia in the early 5th century B.C. He's throwing a feast, and, and he calls on his queen, whose name is Vashti, to come out to be with him at the party. And Vashti is kind of a diva, right? She doesn't want to come out. She doesn't want to entertain her husband. So, so her refusal then is seen as rebellion, and it's determined that she should be replaced as queen. So what this does is it sets the scene for the rest of the book of the story of Esther. And in order to replace Vashti as queen, we see the first ever season of the king's next top model, right? I tried, okay? Okay. Um, and so what happens is they parade the, virgin, the virgins of the kingdom, and they're brought before the king, and a young girl named Esther was selected by the king. Esther was a Jew. And, and to understand our story as we should, the king is not aware of this fact. King Xerxes doesn't know that Esther's a Jew. Esther was the, was the cousin of a man named Mordecai, a man who would adopt her and basically raise her as his own after her parents passed away. Mordecai is, is not particularly popular with a man named Haman. Haman's a guy who works for the king. And, and Mordecai refuses to bow to Haman as everyone else would because they feared for their lives. And so Haman, who works for the king, he gets the king to agree to kill all of the Jews. This is problematic, right? Because he's married to a Jew, but he doesn't know that, does he? The word of this gets to Mordecai, and he sends message to Esther to plead to the king 
for the sake of all of her people. Esther replied to Mordecai that she could not come into the king without his request and that doing so could cost her her life. And so let's pick up the text in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, and we'll see Mordecai's response. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. He's working through messengers here. Mordecai sent message to Esther, Do not imagine that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all of the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to send reply to Mordecai. Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days night or day. I I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go into the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Hey, let's pray for just a second and ask ask that we would be recipients of the words, Lord, and what he'd have us to hear through his Holy Spirit today. Father, that's exactly our prayer this morning, that as we, any time that we look into your word, whether it be receiving it through a sermon like this, or whether it be that we're opening it on our own, that our eyes would be open to the things of God. Lord, but they would not just be letters or words on a page, but instead that we could see how real life application is there, is present for us to do the things that you've called us to do, to fulfill the purpose that you've planned for our lives so that we might ultimately bring glory to you. Help help us to be clear and direct in our message today, Lord, and help us to receive these things so that we might move forward as a church together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the story would end with... Esther approaching the king, pleading her case, and the king saving the Jews. Just for good measure, the king went went ahead and hung Haman for trying to kill everyone. Mordecai posed the thought to Esther, maybe you were born for such a time as this. Maybe you were born for such a time as this. Esther recognized the great magnitude of her purpose. Esther recognized the great magnitude of her purpose. And when she understood this, her only recourse was to call for the people to pray and fast. Man, church, there's a lesson there. If that would be our first step each and every time we've seen God call us to do something, if we said, hang on, i got to go pray, i got to go fast, I've got to go seek God on this matter. She called out for a corporate dependency on God. And I I, I believe, church, that too often the reason that we become discouraged or fearful is that we minimize or we diminish our purpose to something less than what it is. What you do matters. I guarantee you if we sat and had a conversation and you told me about the things that you do that you believe are menial in your life, I could show you how God wants to use those for his glory. We begin to say things like, I don't matter. What I do doesn't matter. I don't count. What I do doesn't make a difference. We have self-talk like this, and we think that the things that we do are insignificant in light of the glory of God. And you see that the enemy, he's happy. He rejoices when we do this, because if we will see our purpose as smaller or insignificant, then we can try to accomplish it on our own. 
When we see our purpose as lesser or insignificant, we can try to accomplish it on our own. One of the enemy's favorite things to do, like we said, is to isolate you. He wants you to miss church this week because he doesn't want you to come into a community of believers that might remind you about the God that you serve. Satan's goal from the Garden of Eden was to cause us to believe that everything is small enough for us to manage and that we are great enough to handle it on our own. His goal has been to remind you or to make you believe that everything in your life is small enough for you to manage and that you're big enough or great enough to handle it on your own. That was the promise that the enemy had for Adam and Eve that day. There's a good chance that you can take some of the problems in your life that you're experiencing and trace the root of them back to the fact that somewhere in your life you thought you were big enough, strong enough, smart enough, qualified enough to handle them on your own. And what it did is it caused a self-dependency that left God outside of the picture. I was just reading in my personal Bible reading this week about Jesus' choice of the disciples. And with this sermon in mind, I thought about the fact that Jesus knew if there was going to be a revival, if there was going to be an outbreak that we were going to see in the book of Acts, he had to start with people who didn't think they were smart enough or strong enough or educated enough or qualified enough to do what was going to be. They were terrified of what was coming to the point that Jesus said, even when they bring you before the authorities, you don't have to worry about it because I'll have exactly what you need to do and exactly what you need to say in the waiting. Your purpose takes courage because you are the only one that can do it. That thing in your life that you thought you were big enough, strong enough, smart enough to do caused a self-dependency that left God outside of the picture. I wonder this morning if we truly believe that God has a purpose for us. I mean, I can't even imagine what a community of believers would look like if every individual that were sitting in the seats this morning truly believed that God had a purpose for you. I mean, a real specific purpose. So there, there's different types of preaching that we see out there today, and some are specific purpose and general purpose. But I'm talking about the fact that when we read the Scriptures, when God designed you, He designed you with a purpose in mind for you specifically. He tells us that. God told Jeremiah the prophet, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He knew us. Isn't that wild this morning? He knew who we were before he formed us. If that doesn't tell us something about our origin and how we're spiritual creatures. Before you were born, I set you apart. There's a lot of people that aren't in church this morning. There's a lot of people today that don't believe God's sovereign over their lives. The very fact that you're here this morning, you believe to some degree that God has set you apart for a purpose. While ultimately it's to bring glory to him, within that mission, I'm sure that he has placed you here for specific people, specific places, and for different seasons of life. In our story today, Esther was the only Jew. This is a slave girl. Do you get this? Slave girl. I can tell you this, what we see from her prayer life after she's promoted, Esther was just a humble servant girl, a slave in this kingdom that was being ruled by foreigners, by Gentiles. But I believe with all my heart that God had prepared her for the task at hand. Esther was the only Jew that had access to company with the king. 
That's why we see this message sending between Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai can't get to the king. Esther is his, is his conduit, if you will, the way that Mordecai was going to speak to the king. And I'm sure that the love that she had established with the king contributed to her ability to approach the throne. We said that her life was potentially in danger. For those of us that have read the story, you come into the king uninvited, he raises his scepter, and that means you're in good graces with him. He doesn't raise his scepter, and that means you're out of here. All the way up to his very wife. God had created a unique situation where only Esther could do what needed to be done, and he worked through her to accomplish his will. She had specific relationships. You have specific relationships today. Did you know that? Some of you come to me, and I'll keep training you, I promise, and I'm not being short or, or, or anything with you when we talk. Pastor, I really need you to pray for this person. No, you don't. No, you don't. I'll help you pray with somebody, but God's put you in someone's life to pray for them. God's put you in someone's life. I, I know David's teaching a class on evangelism right now, and I know many of the tenants of that talk about the fact that you are the one that can reach your neighbor in ways that I can't. I can't go mow their grass. I guess I could, but you probably want me to do different things with my time. Only you can mow their grass. Only you can take them a plate of cookies. Only you can be there when you see something has happened in their life. You have specific relationships that you can capitalize on for the glory of God that no one else has. There is no one else in this world that is tied exactly to the same people that you are. Through your family, through your friends, through your work, through your school, whatever it is, we all have different webs of networks and, and influences and relationship. She was in a specific geographic area. She was in a specific geographical area that day in a specific time in history that made her capable of completing the task. One year later, five years earlier, or 500 miles away from where she was, and suddenly this purpose would not have been completed through her. Don't we see that in the words of Mordecai? I know God, God's faithful, right? We've talked about God's faithfulness. Mordecai said, hey, God's faithful. I know he's going to save his people. And he's inviting Esther into this purpose. He's inviting her to take courage, to take heart in fulfilling her purpose. Mordecai's going, hey, if you don't want to do it, he's going to save his people, but we might all perish, this generation of us. The ones that are around us that want to see this happen, we might be gone. You never know. God, can I tell you a quick story? I was in seminary. I've been in seminary. I'm still in seminary. I, I need to get out of seminary one day. I hope I will. I was in seminary. This is probably... 10 or 11 years ago, and there was just this, there was this great, just uh, great big dude. Everybody, when I just say great big dude, you all know, like, do you, you've got somebody in your life, when I say great big dude that you picture, it's a football player, a wrestler, or somebody, you know, and he's sitting back there, and you're going, you're looking, going, wow, this, this guy's working on his doctorate degree. This is pretty impressive. I mean, he runs a construction company, and he was just this great blue-collar guy that just got this big call from, on his life from God, and he was just going to pursue it. And he said he didn't even know where God had him headed. He just knew he was taking the next step. And I remember one night, I, I was in the, it was this fifth or sixth class that I had been in with, with Norman, and I remember him asking the professor, and it wasn't relevant to anything we were saying. I think it was just one of those moments. Maybe Norman said it so that I would say it at such a time as this. He raises his hand and he goes, Hey, Doc, because that's what he called the professor. Hey, Doc. 
We're having this discussion. He goes, some people I talk to say that the church is dying and we're not going to make it. And other people say the church is getting ready for revival. Can somebody please tell me which one it is? I thought, what, wow, what a great question. The church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. If you don't sense that, then you might not be operating within his will. You might not be operating within the purpose that he has for your life. I just want to do a quick sound check. The church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. Is that not right, church? The church of Jesus Christ is moving forward. You can dis- determine whether or not you want to be a part of it. But when I talk to people who think that the church is dying and the church is not going forward, they might be talking about a specific building. They might be talking about a specific ministry. But the church of Jesus Christ is not dying. The church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. And Mordecai was saying to Esther, God's going to do his work. We have to make a decision as to whether or not we want to be a part of seeing his purpose fulfilled. One year later, five years earlier, 500 miles from where she was, and suddenly this purpose would not have been completed through her. Pastor, how do I find my purpose? Well, you sign up for the, the women's Bible study purpose-driven life here at Cap City Church. That'll help, maybe. But John Maxwell teaches us that we should spend as much time doing what only we can do. I'm the only one that can be Allison's husband. In case you're wondering, that is my wife's name if some of you are new, Right? I'm the only one that can be Allison's husband. I'm the only one that can be Wesley, Luke, and Benjamin's dad. Most importantly, I'm the only one that can fulfill the purpose that God has designed me to fulfill in this place, in this time, and in this season. You might say that's great, Jonathan, but being a husband or a wife or a mom or a dad doesn't really seem to be as purposeful as saving a nation like Esther did. But consider this about Esther's recognition of her task, and then let's bring it back around to us. Esther recognized in this situation that not only was her life on the line, but the life of an entire nation. She recognized that the matter at hand was a spiritual matter over a physical matter, and she responded accordingly by asking the entire nation to join her in prayer and fasting for three days. Your purpose, I believe this with all of my heart, church, your purpose is that big as well. God is looking for willing, surrendered, obedient participants in the kingdom of God. There's a place for everyone, and he's willing to promote people in the kingdom as they show faithfulness. We need more on the front line. We need more preachers. We need more teachers. I just said the the church of Jesus Christ is moving forward, but we have pastors leaving the ministry at three times the rate in which they're coming in. We need people to step up. Your purpose is as big as hers was that day. The problem is that we make a choice quietly, maybe subconsciously, to ignore things like spiritual warfare, to ignore the bigger picture, to ignore the fact that God wants to use us in carrying out his will. You ever watch the news and they show you about six or seven tragedies? They give you this big global view of what's taking place, and they go, and just before we leave, here's a kitten. They want to make sure you leave that day 
ignoring all the problems, ignoring all the big stuff. They want to keep you focused on minimal things that will continue to make us be consumers. If you don't understand that, that's what they're training our children to be right now. They're training them to make about seventy or $80,000 and spend about ninety or 100 every year. We lose perspective. And that's exactly the thing that the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to ignore spiritual warfare. He wants us to ignore the bigger picture. And he wants us to ignore the fact that God wants to use us in carrying out his will. That's a big burden if you'll receive that this morning. I really believe it with all my heart, though. In other words, we like to minimize our role. And by the way, us good spiritual people even know how to to mask this as a form of humility. Oh, I, I could never do that, or they, I'm not needed there, or I'm just a, hey, you're not just an anything in the kingdom of God. What you do matters. That's one of my, I, it's one of my pet peeves when somebody says, oh, I'm just a, no, you're not. You're not just an anything. You are a child of God, and he has called you to do great things for him. He won't hear that when we stand before his throne one day, that I was just a whatever, We minimize our roles to stay in places of comfort and safety. God might not call each of us to save a nation, but let me ask you this morning, what one life, what one life isn't worth saving? You tell me this morning what one life isn't worth saving. He has a God-sized plan for all of us. And so we must quit diminishing it to some lesser thing that we think we can accomplish without God. That's what we do this morning, church. We diminish what he wants us to do to something lesser that we think that we can accomplish without him. Most of us are operating at just about the level where we can control what's going on without needing God. Just do it. You've heard me preach it these last few weeks. Give till you're a little bit worried about where the next, how you're going to pay the next bill. Serve until you get a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Make a step for God where you're not really sure if you're, you can make that reach in the way that he wants you to move. Most of us are operating at just about a level where we can control what's going on without needing God. Instead, we should treat every task that he puts before us as significant in bringing glory to him. When we do that, we elevate our purpose and we magnify our source of power. We elevate our purpose and we magnify our source of power. I'm going to invite Colton to come and and the team and we're going to give us an opportunity to respond this morning. We have a high and holy calling that comes with some pressures. But there's nothing like the presence of God to help us handle those pressures. As you understand what those pressures are and and why you're feeling them, don't hesitate to take them to God. And by the way, don't worry about how your purpose compares to others. Don't worry about, remember we talked about that? That we didn't need to compare altars when, when God asked us to sacrifice something? God doesn't compare you to others. God doesn't compare you to others. Only we do that. Comparison is something men do. God is no respecter of persons, and he wants to see you be faithful and obedient to the call he's placed in your life. He created you to be you, so your purpose takes courage because you are the only one that can do it. 
you will be afraid. But let me offer this morning a fresh spiritual perspective on how I think we should define courage. Courage isn't the absence of fear. I like that part, right? Some of you have heard this, the, the first half of this definition, definition, right? You've said, yeah, it's moving forward in spite of it. But I think I have a better one for us this morning. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Oh, I hope we'll receive this this morning, church. It's the absence of self so that God can take control. Most of us need courage to let go of control. We've talked about a childlike faith in the last couple weeks and how interesting it was that Jesus told a bunch of adults to start acting like kids. And almost, he almost talked in a way where it sounded like adult-like faith was a bad thing. But I really do believe what he was trying to say is as you get older, as you grow in faith, as you grow in position, continue to relinquish control. Continue to surrender. Continue to relinquish control. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It's a willingness or the absence of ourself so that God can have full control. That feels scary. We grasp for control. We continually want control. We want to control resources. We want to control power. We want to have all these things that the world has to offer. We want to make sure that we're going to be okay. And so over and over and over again, our prayer has to be, Seek ye first the kingdom, and I'll take care of the rest. Seek ye first the kingdom, and all the things you're trying to keep control of, let me have them. What if we gave him full control of our life today, and, saw, and we would begin to see if he wouldn't reveal the reality of the purpose that he's designed for you to fulfill? It was a great worship set today. We just brought, brought in some great classics, just familiar, allow you to just sing and worship this morning. And as we give you an opportunity to respond, me and Colton, if you haven't figured this out, me and Colton have a little bit of a bond. We like working in ministry together. I've, jo- I, I've, I've joked, he doesn't know this, but I've joked that I think he could sing nursery rhymes and we could find a way to go after the Holy Spirit in a service. He put this set together. I mean, he knew the themes that I was preaching. He doesn't know some of the things that have been happening in my prayer life, though. And, and as we go into a time of response, the song we're going to sing is, Lord, I need you. This has been the most prominent confession in my prayer life as of late. Jesus, I need you. How we need you, Jesus. If you don't feel like you need Jesus, I'm, and I'm not talking about faking it, church. I'm talking about really being in a place where your heart's heavy with a burden for the lost. I mean, I'm talking about the moments when you're in a group of people that you know are unsaved and your heart breaks. And God brings you to tears because you know those people are lost and dying and going to hell. If there's not something in you that says, God, I need you every time you go to prayer. You're not chasing after something big enough. You've minimized his purpose. You've minimized his will for your life. Let's stand this morning.
Maybe you need to come and pray and say, God, I'm sorry I haven't chased after the purpose you have. Lord, I'm sorry I've minimized the purpose. Lord, I'm sorry I've grown stale in my walk with you. But I encourage you during this time of worship, and worship can be such a healing thing. It can be such a time of coming back onto the right terms with God. I need you. Lord, I need you. Would you this morning, would you let your self-dependency give way to a trust in the one who wrote your story? He wrote your story. He started writing it before you were formed in the womb, and he wants to see you fulfill it. We sang blessed assurance. You have that blessed assurance this morning that Jesus is yours and you are his and you've come too far to give up. Don't give up today, church. Instead, give up, give yourself up to him so that he can have full control. You've come too far to give up. He who spoke your story into existence is faithful to fulfill it. So what if this morning, church, we just collectively, if it, whether it be in your seats or as you came to the altar to pray, you would just proclaim this morning, Jesus, I need you. Lord, we pray that we've been faithful to the word this morning. God, we need you. God, I believe at Cab City Church, you want to move mountains. You want to restore families. You want to transform this community. God, you've given us a big task. And we need surrender from your people. We need people who are willing to let go of control so that the Holy Spirit can have full control of their life. God, to fulfill the destiny, the purpose that you've placed in them. God, I believe every individual, God, that you predestined them to be in this place this morning to receive this message so that they might hear for the first time or renew that call that you've placed in their life. Lord, we need you. Every hour, we need you, God. Help us to say that with conviction, Lord. Help us to pray that with purpose in Jesus' name.
have a seat this morning and I, I just want to reiterate as it's been such a blessing in my prayer life over the last few weeks man it's it's a prayer that he will answer you need something you do but I can tell you every single one of those needs is answered in the name of Jesus you don't have to sit there and give him your laundry list of all the things you need he knows that he wants to hear about your interest in his kingdom. And he'll give you an assignment. He will, I believe with all my heart. He'll give you an assignment. It'll be small because he wants to see you be faithful in small things. Then he's going to give you bigger tasks. Some of you that have been around a little, longer, a little bit longer can attest to that. That those of us that are faithful with little, he'll make us faithful with much. So it might be small, but he's going to give you something you can handle with the power of his Holy Spirit. So proclaim that this morning in your spirit. God, I need you. It's a confession that we can make. Confession, we ruin the word because we just attach it to sin. Keep confessing your sins. It's an important thing to do. But confessing who he is, confessing our belief, right? There's power in confessing who God is and what we believe 
about him. So I hope you'll take that with you this morning. Hey, we're going to come to you now for morning tithes and offerings. And as we do, we're going to say goodbye to our, our gang that's watching on li- online. We know some of you can't join us in person, so we're so thankful that you're able to do it um, as online members. But those of you that are close, we want you to join us at the Rathmel Road campus uh, soon and very soon. Um, if you want an excuse, we've got a bunch of special announcements that we're only going to do in-house next week, just in case you uh, wonder what you miss here. So we'll, we'll say goodbye to our online uh, crowd, and we'll ask the ushers to come forward. And um, let me just say a prayer over, over this offering, and then we'll, we'll receive those. Uh, God, we thank you uh, because you have met every need. Lord, I know so many in here have prayed that prayer over and over again in their life, and you've met their needs. And so, Lord, help us to be faithful as we would receive.